Welcome to Business is Booming with CFO Advisory, helping Australian business owners rapidly grow, profit and succeed. Um, I uh, yet to be employed. I started running businesses when I was um, 17 and um, you know that led me to working in across a family business, running a graphic design business. Um, but ultimately led me to, I'm a Melbourne boy, but ultimately led me to Sydney, um, at which point I founded a business called Mail Plus. Yep. So Mail Plus um, uh, was, rather than having, an, it was basically a business outsourcing solution and that's the way we pitched the business. And rather than having um, an office junior or a receptionist or a mailroom clerk go down, this is in 1997, go down to Australia Post in the morning and clear a post office box, um, uh, and bring the mail back, uh, we would do that for companies. So um, if anybody is aware of... How much of, did you charge when you first started? Uh, $3.50. <laughs> uh, it was back in 97. Um, uh, so I think the same service costs $7 now, so that gives you an idea of, of inflation. Um, but we, we, um, you know, look, we worked out pretty quickly that we basically heard of a courier company in Melbourne offering collection from post office boxes as a means of marketing and um, we saw an opportunity in that business that rather than um, you know just offering it a, a lot of the courier companies had a really really terrible look and a really terrible brand about them you know courier drivers were considered to be people who um, you know were often dirty they're the kind of guys that come into your office and they hassle you about you know not being ready and um, you know they're angry and you know they're you know, they're constantly complaining. We wanted to create a brand that was really different to that. And by that, we wanted to create um, a, an extension of, of your office. So a, like a, a, a member of your own team, if you like. So we created this service where each morning we'd go down and clear the post office box. And at the end of the day, we'd pick up your outgoing mail and take it back to Australia Post. Um, it was that simple. Um, from starting in Sydney, we actually franchised that business. Um, what did you sell your first franchise for? We sold our first franchise for $7,500. And what do they sell for now? Uh, they sell for about $75,000 now. Um, we sold a, between uh, 2000, the year 2000 and 2010, we sold 175 franchises across Australia. Um, those franchises were all um, you know, with the same philosophy of, of, of you know, creating an outsource solution or, or trying to provide a service to customers where we actually felt like we were part of that business. Um, if you look at the brand of the Mail Plus business, it doesn't look like a courier company. Has anyone seen a Mail Plus van out there? They're silver. Um, there's no other silver courier vans. Um, they were white and they were, they were dinted and they were dirty. Um, we, when we started branding the business, we, um, we had Volkswagens. They were the only vans that we would have and they were silver. And our branding was really, really significant and different. And that was our philosophy with the whole business. Um, from providing services like mail collection and delivery, we, we um, then started providing services like banking. So in those days, you know, people got checks in the mail and checks in the morning meant that, you know, people would fill in a, a banking check register and go down and deposit those checks. You know, it's a simple philosophy of outsourcing being that if you, and economies of scale in that business, if you look at um, one person going down and waiting in a queue uh, to deposit checks, we would have one person going down and waiting in a queue but depositing checks for 40 companies. Um, same thing, if you look at um, the post office, um, the main GPO post office in, in Sydney, 
there are seven and a half thousand post office boxes and rather than having seven and a half thousand people down there clearing seven and a half thousand boxes we had you know a team of 20 guys going around with big rings of keys and opening up boxes and in some cases we would go to um, looking at the city now I can sort of see yeah okay so 201 Kent Street over there I think there's 35 businesses in that building well we had 30 customers in that building so a matter of catching a lift up each morning and throwing the mail out of each lift. We didn't actually throw it. We, we <laughs> politely went and presented it. <laughs> um, but, you know, we always had a real emphasis in the business of quality. Um, you know, it was doing things differently. I certainly think with the Mail Plus ethos, it was, the ethos we had at Mail Plus was very, very much about quality of service but doing things differently to what people expected. And I think what people expect from couriers is... is you know, is not a lot, and we sort of tried to drag them into being um, people that they could rely and depend upon. Apart from the brand differentiation that you talked about, how did you, what were the mechanics around growing and get uh, generating customers? Um, we tried all sorts of things. Again, very different. Uh, we, we tried to, um, we found that most courier companies were found in those days, I'm going to say Yellow Pages, it was 97, we don't do that anymore, but, um, you know, we, we very much, we, we were early adopters of online, um, we, were, we were really big, we, we really, really pushed heavily um, to have a great looking website and a website that was functional and provided a lot of information. Uh, further to that, we were really early adopters when the business was growing rapidly of search, so we invested a lot of money in search engine optimis- optimization, and you know we were we were a very big Google AdWords customer early on. So I think we drove a lot of new business through websites. We also, um, because we had a really great service, we were really proud of that, and our customers were proud of our service. So we had great brand, but we we got our customers talking about our service. So we put a lot of referral offers offers into the marketplace. And then we did a lot of direct marketing, so we were really aggressive. We had um, a call centre um, and we would often call people up. And for us, it was about educating because in a lot of cases, you ring up and say you're a courier company, and you know, um, which is what people think about that service. Someone takes from A um, and delivers to B, they're a courier company. But we pitched ourselves as not that. We said we're not a courier. The first thing we would say when we're marketing somebody is we're not a courier company. We don't do that. We don't do. You can't. You can't ask us to pick up um, an item and take it out to Parramatta. You know, four times a year. We don't do that. We do the same thing at the same time every day. Now, other other courier companies didn't do that. So we said, you know, we have the same person delivering your mail every day, which meant that, you know, they could rely on that person. They got to know who was delivering their mail. They they built a rapport and a relationship, and there was a level of trust that was built, which often meant that. We could handle things like sensitive documents. Um, so we, we created a really large business working between financial institutions. We did all of the, um, the hard paper contracts that ran between Macquarie, customer, Macquarie Bank and their, their private banking customers, for example. Now, they wouldn't trust those services to a normal courier, but we handled those services on a daily basis because we'd build up rapport and trust. I've met quite a few of your franchisees over the years. Yep. Um, how would you describe your franchisees and how much does the top one earn? Um, our franchise, franchising, look, I've got a lot of experience in franchising. I've worked across a lot of franchise businesses and I think one of the common um, flaws in franchising is that 
one selection of franchisees. It's very easy when you're a franchisor to take checks off people who are queuing up to give them to you. Um, meaning that you know, if you're wanting to expand your footprint, expand your business really quickly, and somebody's saying that they want to be a member of your team, um, you know, you need to sometimes resist that and make sure you have your selection criteria in terms of franchisees is really solid. So we only wanted people in the business who we thought could carry the message um, the right way. Um, we also put an enormous emphasis on training. So one, we got the right style of person, and by that we really, we really did a lot of testing. So there was some psychological testing that we did. We didn't brainwash them or anything, but we did, we did, um, we did ask them some key fundamentals initially. You know, and we also, I think out of that relationship, you need to understand, you know, great business relationships work when you're both, when, when your objectives are aligned. So meaning that they want out of the, the business what you want out of the business, and we're very careful to get that. Training was also a massive thing for us. Um, you know, I've worked around some franchises more recently where training is really poor, and they put on a two-day training course and send their people out into the field. We worked with a number of large training organisations to create an online training platform. That online training platform regularly um, put new initiatives out in front of franchisees and it tested them. So we could see if a franchise wasn't performing um, you know, and we could see if they needed additional training and it was constantly training the franchisees. Um, in terms of the, the top earning Mail Plus franchisee... I threw sure, you with that one, didn't I? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure he wouldn't mind... Um, from a business that originally charged $3.50 a service, I think the top franchise who is located in Sydney earns about half a million dollars a year for a delivery business now, which is, which is good money for a man with a van. He's actually got a, actually got a couple of vans, three. Yeah. Um, one of the th- key things about the Mail Plus business, which was really, really great, is, and which is really great for franchisees, is that the, the income in the Mail Plus business is incredibly reliable. And... Um, by that, I mean the consistency of having a service that's locked in every day and having um, you know, an annuity income stream in that business is incredible, being that the same service is provided at the same time every day. And I think that's really encouraging if, you've, if you can create a business that has that for franchisees. I think it's really positive because it takes... Franchising is, you know, it's a, it's a very, very... Um, it's, it's, all, it's, it's a very close relationship you have with your franchisees. In a lot of cases, they're, they're mum and dad investors who um, have saved up a lot of money and haven't, haven't wanted to go and start a business themselves and have wanted to buy into something that is proven and a bit more established. And you need to take that trust really seriously. We always did. Um, and, I, you know, I think that that's, that's, that relationship and the way that works is, is really important. We're going to move on from Mail Plus, but does anyone have any other specific questions on mail? You know. How do you allocate territories to your mail plus franchisees? Uh, geographically, um, so we, we basic, they were based around postcodes, um, but later on we did some work um, with a demographer. Um, demographer basically looks at populations in an area. It also looks at, we did some, um, some testing around who our key customers were. Um, and how many of those customers were in specific territories. We then geographically drew lines on a map based on postcodes and um, also sometimes, you know, uh, federal electorate seats and the like. They, so they can be, can be drawn in different ways. But that area of the business has become incredibly, in franchising, has become incredibly sophisticated, mm-hmm. a lot more sophisticated than it was 
in the early days of franchising where you'd whack a store somewhere and that's how it would be. There's, there's information um, available to you now where if you can profile who your key customers are and you can, you can profile their demographic, um, you can then select territories and find out, or you can find out where those people are in the country and then put territories in the appropriate locations. And has, we, any, we, has anyone here worked with a demographer before? Hands up. That's not surprising. I didn't work with a demographer until about two years ago, and the amount of information they can give most businesses, not just B2C, uh, is truly incredible. Um, and the cost of it is, you know, for two thousand for dollars, they can take all of your customer base, put it through their software, which is linked to all of the um, census information, and correlate it to one hundred and forty-five different data capture points that the census captures and tell you who your customer is and where they are. It, it, it's truly incredible. Yeah, it, it kind of removes, um, it removes the throwing darts at a board logic for franchising. Mm. And I think well, it's not just for franchising, it's... For any business. For any yeah. business. Yeah, um, for any business. Um, I, you know, it's certainly understanding who your customers are um, you know, and knowing, know, knowing what they one, what they want, and two, when you provide what they want, what they like, um, you know, and how often, again, they're going to use the service. And that, all of that key data is, is, you know, is really vital when you're expanding a business. I had a, just one example on that. Uh, I work with a, quite a large online retailer. They're turning over about uh, $28, 30000000 million. They thought they had a very clear idea of who their customer was. We brought the demographer in. And, and their customer was not completely different, but the geography of where their customers were were, were totally different to what they thought. And, and the, mess, what, the key thing that they learned was that their customers were based um, 10 kilometres or more from a major shopping centre. Uh, and they, and their de- the demographic in terms of, terms of the ages and the sex was slightly different to what they thought. And, it was for, for two thousand. It was the best two thousand dollars they'd ever spent, um, and we've really leveraged that. But that's completely off the, the topic. <laughs> um, so, you obviously moved on from Mail Plus. Yeah, thinking. we we were one of the first companies that Australia Post had done a joint venture with in a long time in two thousand and ten. Um, we actually released a co-branded product with Australia Post. Um, we actually managed to have Express Post envelopes with Mail Plus. Um, with Mail Plus branding on them. And that was an incredible achievement in itself. Um, working with Australia Post or with a large organisation like that is, it can be incredibly rewarding, but, the, but getting somewhere with an organisation like that can also be incredibly frustrating. Um, we had what was called a steering committee. I headed up the steering committee for Mail Plus. There was a number of, there was a board member from Australia Post on that, on that, on that steering committee, but there was endless amounts of meeting to get any to get anywhere. Ultimately, um, uh, we then um, formalised a relationship um, with Australia Post. Um, at which point, I exited the business, um, and a private equity business bought uh, a share of Mail Plus. Um, I then had, in my ultimate wisdom, had a year off, um, which not a lot of people get to do at my age. And I, you know, I I um, went and lived in the south of France for a year. Um, and tried to work out what I was going to do with my life. Um, 
I came back and some guys um, who I knew, who I used to work on, uh, work on the, I was always on the marketing side of the business, wanted to start an advertising agency um, uh, you know, and do things a little bit differently to traditional advertising agencies and they asked me to be the managing director. Um, so that was about two and a half years ago. And what's the business? Uh, the business is called Jim Jam Ideas. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a full service boutique advertising agency with a, with a twist. So we do things a little bit differently to ordinary advertising agencies in that, again, we, all, a lot of, the, a lot of um, large advertising or multinational advertising agencies carry enormous levels of overhead, um, and those overhead uh, ultimately charge on to the customers. Um, but we service quite large accounts with a staff of 10 people. Um, we were, we beat 38 other agencies about 18 months ago to secure um, the Tourism Tasmania um, account. Um, uh, we, we, the agencies we beat were. Has anyone seen the Tasmania ad? Yeah. 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 So we made those ads, and we made those ads, um, you know, with a staff of 10. And what we did to do that is, we. Look, there was large social elements. It was, a, it was a fully integrated campaign, so there was large social elements to that campaign. There was a very big digital and online element to that campaign. Um, there was obviously the, the TVC, which we spent enormous... Uh, you know, it was, was a large part of the budget. But there was print and different elements. And, look, for the social part of that campaign, we partnered with a company called We Are Social. Um, they're in 14 countries around the world. They're the best social agency in Australia. And we had a real philosophy with this agency where a lot of smaller agencies start, but rather than creating a social department inside our agency, we partnered on a permanent basis with, with, um, with We Are Social. Um, they've got 40 staff and there was no way that we were going to have a social p- department as well qualified and as well equipped to deal with an account of that size. So our business has really core individuals, so we have creative directors, we have a really, really great strategist, um, you know, we have a great managing director. <laughs> um, we also have a couple of really key account executives in the business, and we've got a great design studio in there. But all of the production, um, you know, a, a lot of, you know, all of the all of the film production around making making television commercials, our social agency, our digital agency, we partner with a digital agency called Binary Studios. Now, that business again, all of these businesses to the customer, when they're customer facing, they're representatives of Jim Jam, and we have supplier arrangements with those customers, but. We have almost like a big agency feel about the services we deliver, even though it's not a really large company, um, you know, which, is, which we think provides better services to the customers with greater qualified partners or by, by greater, greater qualified providers, um, you know, still at, a co- still at the right cost. And we have the same kind of arrangements with them and the profit centre out of those businesses is, is almost the same as running, running them ourselves. So. Can you give us some stats on the Tassie campaign, how it went? Um, since we took over the Tourism Tasmania account, um, it's now the best. We, all, all tour, a lot of tourism is measured by what's called the TIMS report, which is a tourism industry measurement report. Um, since we've taken over the, the account, there's been um, an increase of nearly a billion dollars in tourism spend in Tasmania, um, and we've had an increase of 981,000 people, um, visitors over the last year and a half since we took the account over. Um, we... We did. We, we had a really, really large social element to the campaign. So everything that we did for the Tourism Tasmania campaign tied back to social. Um, and we actually created a Tumblr blog. Which um, does anyone know what Tumblr is? Yep. 
So we actually created a Tumblr blog, which, um, which is now used as a case study by Tumblr in New York um, around the world when they're, when they're talking about tourism. And it was very much about driving um, interactive experiences by people travelling in Tasmania. Uh, we've now got a map experience, for example, so in Tasmania, which is run out of the Tumblr blog as well. So if you take a photo when you're in Tasmania, it automatically, through the geographic, through the um, through the GPS system in a smartphone, um, logs that onto a map and posts that picture on a map, and then automatically updates Tumblr and Facebook. So it means that if somebody, for example, is thinking of going to Tasmania, they can go into this map and they can see everybody's experience in Tasmania, uh, anyone who's been there before them, they can see the snaps they've taken, what their experience was, and while they're travelling around Tasmania, they can actually use um, that map, that interactive map to sort of guide their journey. So it's like an interactive map with events and things to do within Tasmania. So. So that's been that's been a really that's been a great thing for us, and um, we like to think that it's you know it's something different that's been done in tourism. I'll tell a story of when we won Tasmania. We're kind of focusing on that, that account, but we it was very very early on in the piece, and you know it's about selling. It was about selling our service. Um, you know we knew that we had a different offering in terms of a boutique agency, and we we knew that we were going in and saying that look we can offer a reduced over. We don't have the overheads of a large agency. Um, you know, so therefore we're going to pass on those savings to you. But that story is not new. Um, you know, there's a lot of boutique agencies out there who say the same thing. We don't have the overhead. We don't have, you know, we don't. You're not paying for, and you're not. You've got senior people working on your account. In the case of Tasmania, we knew in that pitch situation that we needed to be really, really, really different. Um, we knew that they had all the major tourism accounts are really great to win in advertising. Um, you know, particularly the government, the large government accounts. One, they're really big retainer-based clients and you don't often have that in advertising anymore. Um, so we knew, in this case, we had to be really, really different because we knew everyone else was pitching for it. So even though the last thing we wanted to do in that account was in that pitch situation was to copy every other or provide the same sort of um, tourism feel that all the other tourism bodies around Australia were presenting. And I think we really achieved that in the advertising campaign. So we started off the pitch by saying um, to we had we had a small office in Wallara and we can rolled. I, can I interrupt? Who were you targeting in that campaign? What was your what was your ideal customer? We were tar- we were targeting um, customers. We were targeting customers in Melbourne, so Eastern Seaboard, so Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. Um, we did some strategy work around that particular account that said that. Our main, t- we had two targets. One was what we like to call, we called them lifelong learners. So those, our target marketing lifelong learners were um, parents who had, who were empty nesters, kids had left home. They were looking for um, a getaway, but they were looking for a getaway that they could tour and explore. So they could go down to Tasmania, for example, jump in a vehicle or a van um, and tour around Tasmania for an extended period. So we're looking at people to have a seven to 14 day experience in Tasmania. That was our first target. The second target in that campaign was what we like to call the culture vultures, um, which were um, younger, upwardly mobile yuppies, if you like, who wanted to come down and see things like Mona, which is a new museum down there, and we're into the foodie sort of trail. Um, you know, so we're, we're after younger couples wanting to go either, either alone or with their friends on a, a weekend down to Tasmania. Um, so the thing that we said during this pitch process is the first thing we said is, um, uh, do you know what they think of you in the mainland of, um, of Australia, down in, down in Tasmania? 
And they said, they said, no, what? And they said, well, we think that you have incestuous relationships and we, and we, also, think that you've, we also think that you've got two heads and they're the stories that go around for mainland Australians. Um, and How did they take that? Um, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't initially really thrilled with that commentary. <laughs> um, but we knew that we needed to be different because we were competing against some really large agencies. So, um, so, so we said... We said, listen, we don't want to sugarcoat things. That's what people think when they think about going to Tasmania. But we said, we actually see that as a real advantage. <laughs> uh, they turned around to us and they said, well, hack, what, what do you... you know, I said, well, let me explain it to you. We said, you know, if you look at every other tourism ad that's out there, what we have is we have huge beach vignettes, um, you know, with... with, you know, with, with it's, it's, it's constantly sunny... And you see some people having a really good time and there's a really corny background track running behind it. And that, that's basically every tourism ad. So we'd like to actually say that you are actually different, um, but you're wonderfully different. So we'd like to flip that on its head and say that you are wonderfully... The line that we went with was wonderfully out of the ordinary. It's not what we used for the campaign, but that's what won it. Um, and we said, you know, it is, you know, we want to create an experience for a potential customer that's different to every other tourism experience in Australia. And through advertising, that's what we've managed to do. Um, you know, we, the, the ultimate campaign line is called Go Behind the Scenery. And by that, we've said that it's not just about the pristine landscapes, which Tasmania actually does have. It's got amazing pristine, you know, you, there's, anybody who's been down there, it's got some of the most beautiful landscapes and some of the most beautiful scenic attractions in Australia. But it was the things that went behind the beautiful scenic attractions, the things that were behind the scenery that were really quirky and rich and interesting in Tasmania. You know, we found, as part of our research for that advertising campaign, um, a pig that sat in a paddock out the back of one of the pubs there that actually drinks stubbies. They, <laughs> the, the, RS, the RSPCA will only let it have it's a, a two stubby a day limit or something um, with this pig. The pig's name is Penny, the peer drinking, the peer swilling, the, the beer swilling pig. Now, we thought that that was fantastic, you know, um, and we thought that was something that was behind the scenery. So it wasn't just about pristine beaches. It was really about presenting something that was a unique offering in Australia um, because... Look, we couldn't compete with the Queensland market. One, you know, bang for buck, or, or sorry, you know, in terms of in terms of artillery, you know, the the TQ or the Tourism Queensland marketing budget, mm. you know, it's a hundred million dollar marketing budget. Um, you know that you know they, Tasmania can't compete with that. So I think that you need to realise in some circumstances when you're outgunned and not be afraid to do something differently. And the real message for us was, and look, I really enjoyed hearing Josh tonight um, because I, you know, what what it is is that look, I I travel a lot, um, and tra you know, for for work we we work on a lot of large accounts um, through the Jim Jam business, and they're scattered all over the country. But you know, presenting something really differently, like I try to find I try to find a healthy alternative when I'm in an airport, you can't do it. And, you know, if you can try to present a product which is, which is different and unique and look at the market landscape and, and find, find a different way of presenting product, um, you know, that, that people aren't doing and be passionate about it at the same time, I think that's really great. We're really passionate about Tasmania. We're really passionate about what it's got to offer down there and the fact that it's different to anywhere else in Australia. So why would you show anything else but the, part, the parts that are different? Mm -hmm. And it's about illustrating that.